great. So, so New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. Now that's the, that's the headline of an article I read online a couple of days ago. New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. And so I started reading a little bit, and this author was kind of explaining that through the course of a series of studies, and I have no idea where he really got his research, he came up with the, the number that 92% of all New Year's resolutions will ultimately fail. So 92% of those will fail, and of that 92%, 45% will fail by the end of January. So when we set out to make those resolutions of I want to lose weight, or I want to go back to school and get a degree, or I want to learn to fly fish, or skydive, or read eight books, or whatever... Most of those things are doomed for failure. They will not happen. 45% of us will quit by the end of this month. And by the end of the year, 92% of all those that have gone through the process will find their dreams and hopes unrealized, right? Well, New Year's resolution kind of by definition is this sort of attempt to change a component of our lives that will ultimately make the whole of our lives a little better. So if I just change this one thing in 2012, then my whole life will get a little bit better. And if I learn to read more, if I, you know, I, I decide I'm going to give more away or I'm going to volunteer more hours, or you know, if I change that component, it will have a profound impact on my life and life will be better and I will be happier. It's a way of sort of changing myself without really having to change the whole. I just sort of make this one or two commitments over here and things just get better. I mean, that by definition is kind of what most of us as Americans hope for when we think about New Year's resolutions. I'm going to make a couple of small changes to components of my life that will ultimately have a profound impact on the whole of my life. But what we realize through these statistics is that most of us will fail and our lives will remain unchanged and we'll still be unhappy. I mean, that is right. Is that how that all plays out? Well, I think, a li- you know, I tend to think a little bit differently about New Year's resolutions. I don't know that I put all that much stock in, in what happens or what doesn't happen. I tend to think they're just sort of good-natured attempts for us to do some things that we know we should do anyway. And the New Year kind of marks a beginning point. But when I think about our spiritual lives, I think a lot of us kind of apply that same line of thinking to our spiritual lives that we do when we think about New Year's resolutions. That we're not happy where we are. We know that we want to be somewhere else spiritually. We want to have a deeper relationship with, with the Lord. We want to read our Bible more. We want to show up to church more. We want to give more money away. We want to, we want to talk to our, our friends about Christ. Or whatever our, our sort of goals are, we know that we're not exactly where we want to be. And so we think about changing our spiritual lives, we think about it in the same way we think about New Year's resolutions. If I just change this one little component, it will have a profound impact on the whole. And most of us really want that. We want to be able to say, if I'll just read my Bible more in 2012, then my spiritual life will get back on track. We don't really want to have to examine the whole or make any massive changes to the whole of who I am or to my spiritual life and my relationship with Jesus. We just want to tweak these things on the outside and not have to examine or really deal with the bigger things at play. And so when those things ultimately fail, when we don't read our Bible as much as we should, or we find ourselves not going to church as much as we want to or whatever, we recognize that our spiritual lives are, for the most part, unchanged. I mean, this is kind of a reality that we live in. We don't really want to do business or deal with the massive things in our life So we just try and tweak the small components, hoping that's going to make a difference. I will tell you this. If you decide that you're going to read eight Christian books this year, it will probably not change your spiritual life. 
you're going to visit Mardell's more than once, or you're going to show up at church more. I mean, those things are not in themselves going to change or have a massive, profound impact on your spiritual life. I would venture to say that statistics are probably close to what they are with New Year's resolutions. Most of us won't end up keeping those things anyway, and we'll find ourselves in the exact same place in a month or two months or three months that we are right now. So how do we go about thinking about holistic changes for our spiritual life as we step into a new year? Because the new year does kind of give us, a, at least from a mental standpoint, a clean slate for thinking about starting over. It's just sort of a natural place for us to go, I can actually step into something new and I can try again. So how do we think about bigger changes when it comes to our spiritual lives? You know, the Bible never really talks about changes in our life with subtleties. It talks about them with massive words like, of transformation, right, or sanctification, justification, big life-changing, life-altering, paradigm kind of altering words that, that move our life from one place to a completely other place. The Bible talks about change in massive, massive terms. And when I was thinking about my own life and what I want to be different in 2012, or really just in general, what I want to change, my spiritual life, I find that I tend to think too small. I really tend to think about tweaking those small things without really letting the Holy Spirit come in and do a complete makeover of my heart. And I think where most of us stand is that we really need to come face to face with who God is and say, God, I want you to completely transform and make over my heart. Because I know that just reading a few more verses out of the Bible each day is not going to change what needs to change within me. So what I want to invite you to do today as we step into a new year is think a little bit bigger. I want to invite you into thinking a little bit larger than just making a series of three or four promises or commitments that you want to make for the Lord in 2012. Instead, I want to invite you to step into something massive where you say, God, I'm, I'm willing to allow you to make a holistic transformation in my heart that moves me from one place to another. This morning, we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians as we look at Paul kind of adjusting our thinking and his own thinking to really reverse kind of the way that the world calls us to think and live, and make holistic, massive, Holy Spirit-type changes that have a totally different impact on our lives. And that's where I want us to start this morning, is thinking about, instead of just making a few small markers, what if we gave the Holy Spirit access to our entire lives, and we said, make me new, break me, and remake me, and let's start over, God. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and, uh, and get there. See if I can find mine. Chapter 3. Book of, Philippians is a really interesting book. It's one of my favorites. I've got a lot of favorites. But it's one of my favorites because Paul had this really special kind of affinity, this love for the Philippian church, for the, the, the believers in Philippi. He, he loved all the churches that he planted. I mean, we really see that in his letters. But we really get this sense of deep care for the Philippians. A lot of Paul's letters were written to churches that were having huge issues. The Galatians and the Corinthians and the Ephesians. These are churches that were having massive heretical type issues. And Paul was writing to address them like quit doing this. Start doing this. Quit listening to that guy. Quit throwing this away. Start following this person. Don't do that. Quit giving your money to that guy. I mean whatever. He was writing to combat all these things. Philippians is one of the only letters that we have from Paul that's not written to address a specific heretical problem. It's actually like a love letter. It's sort of his best for this church, and so he pours his heart out. In fact, in all of chapter 1, he's talking about how much he longs for them and loves them and thanks God for them. And so it's a really neat picture of Paul's love for a, for a group of people 
that are just trying to follow Jesus. I really like this book because it's not written from a sort of fatherly or parental standpoint. It's like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You know, I love you. It's written from an, and I love you and I want the best for you. And so here's what I have to say. And and chapter three is sort of Paul kind of making a a personal turn. He's talking about his own life and what he's learned about his own life and and hopefully challenging the Philippians to learn from the things that he's learned. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter three, starting in verse seven this morning. If uh, you have your Bible, and we'll go down through, uh, I don't know, 14 sounds good, 7, seven through 14-ish, and uh, we will go from there. Before we open God's Word, let's just take a moment, let's just pray together this morning. Lord, we do thank you for a new year. We thank you for the folks that you brought here this morning, and, and Lord, for the opportunity just in this small place to open your Bible, open your Word, and have you teach our hearts. Lord, I, I would venture to say that not one of us is completely happy with our lives um, Father, either where we are spiritually or decisions that we've made or financially or just any number of things, we, we always feel like we could be at a better place. And Lord, the new year does provide an opportunity for us to think about starting over. And I pray that this morning you would open our horizons to the possibility of a massive kind of life-altering movement of change that might change the way that we think and live and see our own lives. Father, we would not set small spiritual goals, but instead we'd turn over the keys to our life to you and allow you to completely remake us. Lord, I take this moment just to ask you to move in us. Take a second right here before the Lord, sitting in the first day of 2012, and just ask God to to open your mind and your heart to something huge that he wants to do in you. Just invite God to do something big in your life. Pray for someone beside you. Just pray God's blessing on their lives. Just pray that God would move in them, that God would open their life up to who he is. Pray for the people around you. Lord, we thank you for your word that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates our hearts Dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit, God, that it is, it is living and alive. We pray that we would encounter you this morning in your word and that you would teach us and reveal your truth to us, however small or large that may be. God, we want to meet with you. We give you all glory and honor and praise and thank you for a new year of drawing breath and thank you for the person of Jesus Christ which you gave us new life. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, um, I'm going to pick up in the middle of a train of thought by Paul, but I'll, I'll backtrack in a little bit and let you know how we got there. This is Paul as he's kind of writing out some personal reflections to the Philippians. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, this morning I want to look at this text through, through the lens of one of these massive kind of life-altering kind of ideas that we can chase through Scripture, this concept of, of transformation. And, and theologians have a really kind of special word for that, and the word is sanctification. And, and sanctification, by definition, is really just the process of being made holy, okay? Really what that means is that it's this ongoing, maturing, developing relationship with Christ. We're in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, and a lot of us think about transformation, we think about it in terms of a beginning of an end. That transformation has a finite beginning and has a finite end. I was something, I became something else, I'm transformed. But from a spiritual standpoint, transformation has no end. It has no, no end result. It is an ongoing process. We are being transformed and always transformed by the Holy Spirit. As God moves and works in us, we are continually growing and developing. We are literally being sanctified. We are growing into our relationships with Christ. It means you are never done. It means at the end of 2012, you're not going to hit your spiritual peak and say, that is it, I have maxed out, I am there. There will always be a place where you say, God, I want to know you more. I want to trust you more. I want to live for you more. I want to know more about your word. I'm always growing and developing. I want to be more and more and more like Jesus. That's the process of transformation. It means that when you gave your life to Christ when you were 17 or 22 or 30 or whatever, you were a different person today than you were then. And you will be a different person in two years than you are today. God, is, as we trust Him, is in the constant process of remaking our hearts. And transformation or sanctification is not easy. It's a hard process. Because it's the daily kind of dying to ourselves, to our worldly carnal self, and allowing the Holy Spirit to break and remake us over and over and over again. It's a process that takes patience and it takes trust. But it's a theme that runs through Scripture and it's one that I want to look at this morning because I do think that most of us, we need to look at our lives not in terms of if I make a few small spiritual adjustments here and there, then I'll finally get on track with the Lord. I think for most of us, we need to say, God, I need you to break me and remake me. I need to take my old habits and my old way of life, my old way of thinking and living and even looking at myself and shatter it over and over and over again, and continue to remake me as a person that follows Christ. Setting a few small goals for our life in 2012 will not break the whole. It will not fix the problem that continues to rise up in our heart. What fixes those things is the Holy Spirit stepping into our hearts, shattering those things and remaking them, much the way a potter does with a piece of clay, continually remaking and refining this is what the process of transformation is. And this is what Paul is really talking about. And if you look closely at his words, he's talking about his own life and his desire for the Philippians. But he's really kind of painting this picture of saying transformation is a process that begins with the way that you think and moves into how we live and even has a reflection on how we see ourselves. And so for 2012, what I want us to do is think much, much larger. Listen to these themes in 7 through 10. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss. Now, a few verses earlier, Paul had just laid out this sort of platform for the Philippians of why his life from a worldly standpoint was nearly flawless. Because from all outside eyes, Paul was the picture of religious perfection. 
He was kind of born in the right family. He was circumcised on the right day. He was from the right tribe. He kept all the rules and regulations. From a religious standpoint, on the outside looking in, he was absolutely flawless. And the world would look at him and say, man, Paul, or at the time his name was Saul, that guy's got it all together. He has worked it all out. He's got all these things going for him. And so Paul then says, but whatever was for my profit, whatever the world would say would be good for me, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ for whose sake I've lost all things, that I consider them rubbish. Now this line of thinking goes completely against the way that most of us have been raised to think about our lives. He's basically saying that everything that the world says is good and is right and is perfect with me, I consider an absolute total throwaway compared to knowing Jesus. I mean, these are not natural ways to think. He goes on to say that the righteousness that would have been given to me by how I live is no good. It comes only by faith. It means I can't earn or do anything right, but only through faith. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul says, look, the, the desire of my life is to know Jesus, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, that I might become like him. Most of us, when we set our spiritual goals, we set them with kind of things that we can do. I want to pray more. I want to read the Bible more. I want to read a few more books. I want to give more money away. I want to volunteer at the City Rescue Mission a little more. I want to do some tangible things. That's what I want. You know what Paul says? Paul says, he goes, I want to know Jesus. Now, I love this because... You know, Paul's goals were not that he could share the gospel with 800 more people or that he could reach, you know, this kind of goal or he could take the church into the ends of Asia, right? His goals were never measurable like that. His life goal was that he might know Christ more. And I find that, that the church is kind of caught up in the same trap that you and I get caught up in. We set these sort of tangible, measurable goals as somehow thinking that if we just do these things, then we've really begun to do what God is calling us to do. If we can just plant three more churches or just expand to this many services or just have this many, I mean, really, it's not what we're called to be about. A different way of thinking, a much bigger way of thinking is saying, Jesus, I just want to know you. Because I promise you this, if you know Jesus, I mean really know Jesus, changes everything. See, Paul's knowledge of Jesus would change his entire life. And not only does Paul say, I want to know you, Jesus, he says, I want to know you, and I want to share in your sufferings, the joy in sharing in your sufferings, becoming like you in your death. See, Paul's goals for his life were massive. These are sort of world-altering kind of massive movements that say, Jesus, my goal is to know you, to know the heartbeat of God, to share in your sufferings, becoming like you. My goal is not to read eight Max Lucado books. My goal is to know Jesus. But see, when you begin to pray that kind of prayer, when you begin to say, God, I want to know you, that's a life-changing transformational statement. Because it's saying, God, I'm no longer content with just trying to tweak pieces of my spiritual life, but I want you to break and remake the whole. Because when I begin to know the heartbeat of God, my world will change. I mean, as a church, should be our driving passion as well as saying, God, instead of setting markers for ourselves that we can kind of measure up against other churches' worldly success standards, we just want to say, we want to know you, Jesus. 
to be obedient to you and to know your heartbeat. See, massive transformation on a Holy Spirit-sized scale comes when we begin to think differently. We begin to set massive goals and saying, God, what if my goal for 2012, my New Year's spiritual resolution was to know Jesus? And all that that meant, meant getting into the Word, thinking like Jesus thought, living like Jesus lived, seeing people like Jesus saw them, forgiving like Jesus forgave, loving like he loved. Massive scale type things. So we see Paul's sort of train of thought being really different, right? I want to know Christ. Whatever's my prophet, I consider loss. Begins with a, a new way of thinking. We also see this kind of, trans, kind of transition to a way of living. Paul says, look, verse 12, not that I've really done all this. Paul says, look, I haven't obtained all these things. These are my goals. These are my massive life-altering goals to know Jesus. Not that I've done all this, verse 12. Or been made perfect, right? Not that I've reached the end of transformation. If those words, sanctification, transformation, are the process of being made holy, Paul's going, look, not that I've gotten there, not that I'm there, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet having done it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the goal. I can promise you this, in 2012, life at some point in time will be really hard. That's just truth. Life is hard. There will be some point in 2012 that's very difficult. There will be a time when you want to curl up in the corner and just cry. When your worlds collide, when things don't work out, when some kind of something sneaks into your world and changes everything. There will be those moments. And Paul's saying, listen, I have not reached all these goals. But one thing I do is that I press on. I see my spiritual life as a race, as something to be kind of moving into and through. I press on in the middle of hardships, in the middle of struggles. I keep following Christ. You know, the truth is, is that following Christ does not make this journey of a Christian any easier. It actually complicates it quite a bit because the more we follow Christ, the more the enemy will come against you and try and wreck your life. The truth is, when we begin to follow Christ, life gets hard. Paul says, I treat my life, my relationship with Christ like a race which I have to continually push myself to run. You think my goal of wanting to know Jesus is doable? No, I have to continue to push myself to say, I want to know him more, live for him more, follow him more, reflect him more. The question for you and the question for me is, what race are you running? Do you feel like your spiritual life is on some kind of spiritual treadmill where your legs are just cycling and cycling and cycling and cycling and you never end up anywhere? Where it feels like that you just keep going and going and going and nothing is happening? Do you feel like you're running for all the wrong reasons in all the wrong directions? Do you feel like you're chasing worldly safety, security, some financial goal that is out there that has not filled you up yet and probably never will? What race is your life currently running? Are you running a a race for sanity? I'm running a race for peace, for rest, for something. We're running a race for what Paul says has the ultimate end reward. He says this, to win the prize for which I was called heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul ran, he lived, he set these massive world-altering goals because he knew that end result was eternal. 
It wasn't a marker that we could measure. It wasn't something that came at the end of a series of things. I just now I have this much money in the bank or we have this many, this, whatever. It's just I'm running until Christ comes back. And I thought about this long and hard. And I thought, Trevor, what, what race is my life really running? I mean, what really am I pursuing? Am I pursuing this eternal goal, this eternal reward, this knowledge of who Jesus is, this relationship with Christ? Or do I want that? I really do, but I'm running after a totally different set of markers. Or I'm saying, Jesus, I love you and I want to follow you. My life is chasing a different set of goals. Chasing this about my marriage and this about my financial world and this about my kids and this about my... And I'm running these races... None of them matter compared to knowing Jesus. Paul says, everything I consider rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Transformation is a massive remaking of the way that we think. and It's a massive remaking of the way that we live. But the last little piece I want you to see this morning is actually really important. And I think it's one that most of us really struggle with. Paul says this, but one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. I think that massive transformation, Holy Spirit-style transformation, means that we have to do some letting go. How many of you are holding on to baggage, to pain, to hurt, to sin, to past failures, to things that you've done wrong, you've blown, the things that you know have gone just to, been a colossal disaster? Whether it was 2011 or 15 years prior, you know, the amazing thing about a relationship with Christ, the amazing thing about who God is and how much he loves us is that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, Jesus literally comes in and redeems our brokenness. The blood of Jesus, God forgives our sin and we are reborn, made new, cleansed, forgiven, and free. We are no longer slaves to our sin, but we have been given brand new life. And God says in the book of Psalms that he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That what was scarlet now becomes white as snow. That we've been redeemed and set free and we are forgiven. But I think one of the things that holds us up from really living all that we can for Christ, from really knowing him well, is that we have these memories that lock on to our failures and our sin. And we will not let go of those even though we have been set free. Even though God has set us free and given us new life, we cling so tightly to our past failures that it's impossible to run a race while carrying all that baggage. Maybe in 2012, one of the holistic changes, massive kind of wholesale transformations that you have in your life is learning to let go, to recognize that God has freed you, forgiven you, and redeemed you, and it's time for you to let go of whatever that is, that fear, that anxiety, that sin, that hurt, that struggle, because it is impossible to continue to run this race while you're looking over your shoulder. Now, we can set small markers, we can set small goals, and we can say, I want to do this and I want to do that. But what I want to really challenge you to, and what I'm challenging myself to, is to think much bigger for 2012 and beyond. To say, God, I want to invite you into my world to completely break me and remake me, to transform me, the way that I think, the way that I live, and the way that I see myself. I want to see myself as a new creation, transformed by the Holy Spirit, that you have forgiven me for my past sin and hurt. And that, God, you have given me a new way to think about the world, that I just want to know you 
And if I know you, it will change everything. And God, I want to live differently. I want to run a different race. We're kind of at the ultimate, if you will, mental starting line for a new year. January 1st, first Sunday, first day, first few hours of a new year. It's almost like a starting line for a new race. What race are you going to run? What life are you going to live? Are you going to do it carrying all the baggage? Or is it time to step into the freedom that Christ has already given you through his death and begin to live with a massive, life-altering, holistic transformation that says, God, make me and remake me starting today. As we think about these massive changes, take a look at this video See if that can't help us alter the way that we think about living into new transformation.